Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the end of the earth. We are continuing a 30,000 mile, 30 year, 28 chapter adrenaline rush in the Bible. And we call it the book of Acts. And it is full of action. We have covered the first 14 chapters of this book. We are halfway through it. We, we got to the halfway point last week. Paul has already been out on his first missionary journey. He launched out back in chapter uh, 13. We are at this point about 20 years into the book of Acts. Now, if you remember, this began with Jesus talking to his apostles. It was after his resurrection, but before his ascension, he was talking with his apostles and he was clarifying everything. They were wanting to know, you know, some end time stuff, some when is uh, when is everything going to get back in order and all of this? And Jesus says, hey, God will worry about that stuff. You don't have to worry about that. Here's all you have to worry about. And in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. Now you see those three sections there. You've got Jerusalem and then you've got Judea and Samaria, and then you've got to the ends of the earth. Those first couple of meetings that we had, we talked about what happened in Jerusalem. And then we talked about what happened in Judea and Samaria. And with Paul's first missionary journey, or really with Peter's experience with Cornelius, uh, which, um, Joe spoke to us last week about, we're seeing that branch out beyond just Jerusalem, beyond just Judea and Samaria, and the beginning stages of reaching the ends of the earth. In the section that we're going to be covering today in chapters 15 through 19, we're going to see the beginning, well, the completion of Paul's first journey and second journey and the beginning of his third journey. His second journey starts in chapter 15. His third missionary journey begins in chapter 18. Now he will have one more trip after that, that will be later in the book of Acts. But we see two of those missionary journeys beginning right now. So we are approximately somewhere around AD 50 at this point. If you remember, we began around AD 30 with Jesus's ascension, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming down on, on the believers on the day of Pentecost and what took place there. And Peter stood up and preached the first gospel message and 3000 people came to know Jesus. And we have seen through the book of Acts, that number has continued to grow and the church has continued to be encouraged and strengthened 
through this process, which is really crazy with everything that's gone on, with all the persecution, with the martyrdom that we see in Stephen and the other ways that, that the authorities have tried to stop the spread of this gospel. And they just can't do it. They can't do it. It keeps spreading. <laughs> and today we're going to be covering chapters 15 through 19. And there is a there is a phrase that is used right in the middle of this section of scripture, right in the middle of chapters 15 through 19. It's found in chapter 17, and it is verse 6. And it says, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It's referring to Paul and Silas and the other believers that are spreading a gospel like wildfire. They are doing everything they can to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. They're going to one town. They're spreading the word. They're going to another town. They're spreading the word. They're staying in some of these towns to strengthen those new believers and they're teaching and they're sitting down and they're reasoning with people and they're ministering to people and they're helping people and they are turning the world upside down by what they are doing. So we're going to look at these, these five acts today and look at how are they turning this world upside down. And we're going to start first with Act 15, Upside Down Grace. Upside Down Grace. They have a hard time grasping grace. I mean, let's be honest. Don't we all? We have a tough time grasping what grace is really all about. We think that grace is something that you get if you do something. But that's not what grace is. Here's what you got to do with grace. Accept it. Accept it. Brennan Manning talks about the acceptance of acceptance. And that we oftentimes, as, as followers of Jesus, we struggle with the acceptance of God's acceptance. We feel like we got to do more. We got to be more. Now, listen, these guys and these ladies were doing a lot, but they were not doing all of this to achieve God's grace. They were doing all this because they'd already received God's grace. Now, here's what happens. <laughs> As you know, if you've been following along this series the whole time, you know that in the beginning, it was primarily Jewish. The majority of those that had decided to follow Jesus were those who were already Jews, and they were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah that the Old Testament talked about, and so they decided to give their lives to Jesus. And, and, and we saw that kind of break open when Peter went to Cornelius, as Joe spoke to us about last week, where it began to, that kind of opened the door for the Gentiles there. And now we're seeing that just spread more and more. But here is the problem with that. Many of those Jewish people who became Christians are becoming frustrated with the fact that Gentiles are becoming Christians but they're not becoming Jewish. They're not keeping the Jewish law. They're not doing the Jewish traditions. They're not doing 
all of these things that they feel like you need to do before you can become a Christian, before you can become a follower of Jesus. And so they have this big council about it in chapter 15, where Paul and Silas get together with the, uh, the apostles and some of the elders there in Jerusalem, and they discuss this very issue and what they are going to, going to do about it. You know, and the big thing is circumcision. Do you have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus? In order to go to heaven, do you have to be circumcised? Because this is so ingrained in the Jewish culture at this point that the Jewish Christians feel like, yeah, it's all about grace. It's all about Jesus. It's all about faith. But, you know, and the second you put that but in there, it's no longer all about grace, faith, and Jesus, right? And so they have this discussion. They prayerfully look at what needs to be done and they approach this in a loving, what I consider a sensitive way for both parties, for both the Gentiles and the Jewish people. And they send Paul with a letter, along with Silas and some others, with a letter explaining what's going to happen. And, and, and what they tell them is, hey, Listen, listen, we don't want to burden you with all of this. Look at what is, uh, what is said in chapter 15, verses 10 through 11. It says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are, just as they are. <laughs> Look at the way the message puts this. I love it. I love the way the message puts this. So why are you now trying to out God, God? You realize how often we try to do that? You realize that every time, every theological position throughout history <laughs> has tried to out God, God. Basically, what they're saying is what we have from God is not enough. Let me explain it better for you. That's why I don't buy in to theologians and their positions and their theologies. I, I, don't, I don't label myself as a Calvinist. I don't label myself as an Arminian. I don't label myself as a restorationist. I don't label myself as open theology. And if you don't know what those things mean, thank God for it, because they're, for the most part, they're very confusing. I'm not saying that those guys don't help in our understanding of scripture. But sometimes, and not always the ones who originated these teachings, but those who follow the teachings have taken them beyond scripture. They're trying to out God, God. Hey, just give me the Bible, okay? I appreciate commentaries. I appreciate theologians. I appreciate preachers and teachers. We need those but not to supersede the Bible. So why are you now trying to out God, God, loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too? Don't we believe that we are saved because the master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us just as he did those from beyond our nation? So what are we 
arguing about? What are we arguing about? Now, in the letter that they sent, they, they made it as simple as possible. And he said, all right, guys, let's just do this. Stay away from, from food that's offered to idols. We don't, we don't want to be tied up. We don't want to be even loosely connected with idol worship. So just avoid those, those foods. Let's avoid blood and animals that are strangled because they still have the blood in them. And this was a strong Jewish teaching that you did not take blood because blood symbolizes the lifeline. And, and they did not. They would drain the blood out of any animal very, very well before they would eat it. And for the Gentiles to come in and say, I'm allowed to eat blood, would be very, extremely offensive to the Jewish people. See here how they, how they're, there wasn't anything necessarily inherently wrong with eating animals that have been strangled. But because it was such a stumbling block for the Jews, they laid that out. And I tell you what, if I had been in their position and if it was if it was between as an adult being circumcised or not eating animals, that has been strangled. Hey, just give me not eating the animals that has been strangled. OK, <laughs> I'm good with that. I can live with that. All right. Fair trade. I'll take it. And then they emphasize sexual immorality, which was really a big struggle, probably a bigger struggle for the Gentiles than it was for the Jews, because the Jews had kind of had that ingrained to them, sexual purity, integrity. Not that it wasn't an issue for them, but for much of the Gentile culture, it was almost like, hey, what's wrong with it <laughs> kind of thing. And so they emphasize that in this letter. <laughs> so stay away from things offered to idols, stay away from blood and stay away from sexual immorality. Other than that, guys, you're good to go. You're good to go. You've got Jesus. You're following Jesus. Let's let's love God and love each other and keep moving forward. And you know what this is? It's an expression of grace. It's saying, hey, you don't have all this put together. You don't have to have everything down. You don't have to be perfect in all of this. You don't have to keep the law. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do all these things. Listen, God's Grace, the grace of Jesus is sufficient. I had a professor in college. His name was Bob Martin. And when he would pray, man, it was just amazing. He would pray before every class. And at the end of every prayer, he would say, in Jesus' name, who alone is our sufficiency. And let me tell you, it was, it, I mean, it was, it was more dramatic than that. It was, it was like this in Jesus name, who alone is our sufficiency. And man, you're thinking, did Bob Martin in that prayer? Or did God in that prayer? I mean, it was just, <laughs> wow. But that stuck in my head because it's so true. Jesus alone is sufficient. We don't need all the other stuff. Jesus, who alone is our sufficiency. And you know what the result was of this gracious, loving, encouraging letter? In Acts chapter 15, 31, it says, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Listen, guys, this is what we need to do with each other. We need to be encouraging.
Sometimes we forget that. You've, you've probably heard it said that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Come on, we need help. You need it. I need it. We all need it. We don't need discouragement. We don't need condemnation. We don't need judgment. We need encouragement. I'm not saying that there's not a way, a certain way that we need to live as we're following Jesus. It's what following Jesus is. But guess what? All of us fail in that. And we need encouragement from each other to keep moving forward this amazing upside down grace all right now we're going to act 16 upside down praise listen in chapter 16 an amazing thing happens Paul and Silas, they are continuing to spread the message. They're getting in trouble. There is one place where, where Paul cast this demon out of this lady. She was uh, practicing divination through this, this evil spirit that was in her. And people were profiting off of it, her as well as others that she was working for. I mean, I guess she was basically a witch, right? She was just doing all this, this divination and fortune telling and, and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, Paul gets aggravated because she's apparently just following around going, hey, these are the people that's preaching in the name of Jesus. And finally, Paul just gets aggravated and he turns around and he casts that demon right out of her. I mean, I'm telling you, Acts is a crazy book. And when this happens, she loses those powers, which means her, along with those that she's working with, lose their money. Lose their money. A lot of people are very tolerant until you get into their wallet. And then all of a sudden, they're not tolerant anymore. And so they had Paul and Silas arrested and thrown into this prison. Now, I don't know about you. I've never been in prison. I've never been in jail, never been locked up. Uh, probably the closest thing I've been in, in to jail has been the past four months of quarantine. OK, and uh, as some of you are going, amen, amen. That's right. Um, but as bad as that's been. I am under no illusion that it's anywhere near what prison would be like, especially the prisons of this day in the Bible. And if I was in that situation, I'm not sure I would do what Paul and Silas did. Look at what they did. This is Acts chapter 16. Verses, uh, let's go to 25 and 26. I kind of skipped over 9 and 10. That's all right. We could preach it another day. I think I messed Tammy up with it. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, listen to what happened here. Listen, Paul and Silas are in prison. Are they moping? Oh, man, what are we going to do now? Man, we can't preach the word in here. What do we do? Why does this happen to us? We're doing exactly what God has told us to do. Why is this happening to me? Do we ever get there? We feel like, God, I'm doing everything you want me to do. Why are all these troubles here? Listen, sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, Doing exactly what God wants you to do will get you in trouble in this world. 
We got to learn to accept that. Following Jesus does not mean that life is going to be rosy and easy. Matter of fact, sometimes it may make it more difficult. Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. They didn't mope. They didn't complain. They didn't say, God, why me? Look at what they did. They were praying and singing hymns to God. They had a worship service. Hey, we're here. We don't have anywhere we need to be. We couldn't get there if we if we did have to be there. Let's just praise God. Let's just have a worship service. And they had such a powerful worship service that the earth shook and the prison bars were opened. Now, in the passage that Tanisha read earlier, she read this. She talks about how once the jailer realized what had happened, he thought they had escaped and he started to commit suicide because he knew if you let prisoners escape, that could cost you your life. And so rather than have the authorities kill him, he was going to and kill himself. And Paul said, no, 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 don't. We're still here. We haven't left. We're still here. And the result, the result is found in chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. He then brought them out, talking about the jailer. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Wow. What happened as a result of Paul and Silas going through troubles and trials and persecution? The result is because they responded to it appropriately. They just praised God anyway. The result is that a whole household decides to follow Jesus. That is upside down. That is crazy. That doesn't make sense but they were living this upside down life. All right, we close Acts 16. Let's go to Acts 17, upside down faith. Upside down faith. This is all about that commitment. How oftentimes when we think of faith, we think of faith as being safe. We have this Americanized version of faith and it's the safe, comfortable, good standing in society kind of faith. But that's not the kind of faith I read about in the Bible. I want to look first here at Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Listen, it says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, I don't necessarily have a whole lot to uh, talk about this passage it's not necessarily really a part of my message. I just wanted to point out that my daughter's name is right there. Do you see that? It's one of the cities that Paul and Silas traveled through. Just wanted to point that out because, and yes, that's where we got it. No, it wasn't from that singer in Purple Rain. Okay, maybe it was a little bit. Maybe it was both. Maybe it was both. But I tell you what I really want to look at in Acts chapter 17 is verse 6. We read this earlier. Paul and Silas had been in Thessalonica, and man, it just, they got so angry. 
with them preaching in the name of Jesus here. The, the people in Thessalonica got so angry about it that they heard that these people, Paul and Silas and the others, were staying at Jason's house. And so they went to Jason's house to get them. I don't know. Maybe they were going to kill them. Maybe they were going to arrest them again. I don't know what they were going to do. Anything could have happened there. But Paul and Silas had already slipped out of there and had headed out. And they were so frustrated. And they referred to Paul and Silas and the others in this way. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. I tell you what, when I die, I hope my testimony is that it, during my time on this earth, I turned this daggum world upside down. This world needs changing. It needs changing through the power of the gospel, through the power of the love of Jesus, through the power of what of, of continuing what Jesus did while he was here on earth. This world needs to be turned upside down. And we, I believe as followers of Jesus, we have a call to do that, to turn the world upside down. And listen, that's not just true about them in Acts chapter 17. I believe that's true all throughout the book of Acts, that we read chapter after chapter after chapter how they turned the world upside down by preaching the gospel, by ministering to people, by selling their, their property and possessions and bringing it to the church so that they could give as people had need. They were doing all these crazy, crazy things and they were turning the world upside down. And now here, 20 to 25 years later, they're still doing it. They're still doing it. It is an amazing thing. Here in chapter 17, they spent some time in Thessalonica. They spent some time in Berea. They spent some time in Athens. In Thessalonica, the people got angry with them. In Berea, the people were more accepting of them. They sat down and, and listened to Paul reason with them from the scriptures. And they read the scriptures to make sure to see what Paul was saying was True. It was just an, an amazing experience and what they went through. But then when they got to Athens, Athens was a little different situation. Athens had a religiosity about them. And they had these different shrines, these different things up that, that they devoted to certain gods. They were what we call polytheistic. And much of the Gentile world at this time was polytheistic, meaning they believed in many gods. The Jewish religion at this time was kind of unique in the fact that they believed in one God. And so Paul, he didn't come to him and say, hey, what are you doing with all these silly shrines and all this stuff? Get rid of these. You know, they're only there's only one true God. What are you what are you doing here? No, listen what he did. He says, I see that you are very religious. You see, he compliments them. It's also worth noting that religious and follower of Jesus are not the same thing. Joe pointed that out last week as well when he was talking with Cornelius, who was also religious, but he had not yet become a follower of Jesus. OK, but Paul compliments him. He goes, I see that you are very religious and I see that you have these shrines to these different gods. And I see that you have one to an unknown God. Now. Who knows what was in their heart and their mind when they made a shrine to an unknown God? But Paul saw an open door and he said, let me tell you 
about this unknown God. And he begins to tell him about the one true God, the one true God who sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us so that through him we could spend eternity in heaven. He talked about the one true God. And listen, when he got to Athens, some people believed, some people didn't. And I, I, I don't know when I wrote this, but in my, in my Bible that I no longer, the one I no longer use because the pages are falling out, I've started using a new one. But I've got in here on Thessalonica and Berea and Athens, I've got them marked out. And on, I've, on Thessalonica, I've got mad. On Berea, I've got glad. And on Athens, I've got that's too bad. Because that's what happened in, in Acts chapter 17. Mad, glad, and that's too bad. Okay? But you never know what kind of response you're going to get when you share the gospel. Sometimes people are going to get angry with you. Some people are going to get glad. They're going to get happy. And they're going to accept Jesus. And then other times it's going to be, yeah, there might be something to this, but, and then they go on about their day. Just like Paul, you're going to get those responses. All right, let's go on to Act 18, Upside Down Growth. All right. Listen, there's a lot of stuff we can't cover in this. If we were doing a, a verse by verse study, um, it would take us a lot longer. But we wanted to we wanted to do this in the way that we're doing it in order to get, give you a, a summary of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 18, I want to focus on the growth aspect there. There's a guy by the name of Apollos who is on fire, who is serving God, who is who is doing amazing things. He's teaching about Jesus, but he still needs some growth. Look at this passage in Acts 18, verses 24 and 26. It says, a man named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a Jew born in Alexandria, Egypt, and a terrific speaker, eloquent and powerful in his preaching of the scriptures. He was well-educated in the way of the master and fiery in his enthusiasm. Apollos was accurate in everything he taught about Jesus up to a point, but he only went as far as the baptism of John. He preached with power in the meeting place. When Priscilla and Aquila, who were companions of Paul, they had worked with Paul. We read about them earlier in Acts. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and told him the rest of the story. Some translations say that they, they taught him the way of God more adequately. In other words, Apollos was doing the work. He was ministering to people. He had a knowledge of Jesus and of the scripture and what it was all about. But there were some things he did not know. You know why? Because he was still growing. Listen, you don't have to know everything to get out and serve God. All you got to know is that God loves you and he loves people. And go out and serve him. Now, as part of loving him, you continue to grow. It's a growth process. <laughs> And that was true for Apollos. One of the things that he apparently didn't fully understand was baptism. He only understood the baptism of John. He did not understand being baptized in the name of Jesus and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. He may have not even been aware of the Holy Spirit at all. We see this on over in, in chapter 19, others who did not know the baptism 
did not know about the Holy Spirit and, and how that connects with baptism. They only knew about the baptism of John. So it wasn't just Apollos that was not fully up on all of this stuff. It was others as well. But you know what? They learned. It was a growth process. And that's what I encourage you to do is to grow and to learn. Be on fire. Have that enthusiasm. Have that passion. Keep moving forward and keep learning in the process. Just like Apollos. Look at, at Apollos as your example. You don't have to know it all to begin sharing what you do know. All right. So that's 18. Listen, just never settle. Never settle. Never get to the point where you feel like I understand this. Never get to the point where you feel like you got to make everybody else believe the same thing you believe in order to understand it. You ever hear that? Oh, they when somebody says, man, they are they are doctrinally sound. What that means is. They agree with me on everything. <laughs> That's what it means. OK. Always be growing, always be searching, always keep learning. Never get to the point where you go, oh, I get it. I got it. That's it. I've gotten it. This is it. Now I just got to tell everybody else. Hey, tell everybody what you know, but keep learning in the process. Never settle in your spiritual growth. All right. The last act that we're covering today, Act 19, Upside Down Purpose. Having a purpose. The reason that Paul and Silas and, and Barnabas and John Mark and Stephen and Peter and all of these guys are turning the world upside down is because they're living with a purpose. They're living with a purpose. Contrary to those outside of Christ. And we're going to see a great example of that here in Acts chapter 19. Okay. <laughs> Paul is in Ephesus. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus like he always does. And he causes this humongous, humongous uproar there in the city of Ephesus. And this riot breaks out. All this arguing breaks out. And they gather at the theater, which is a, a typical gathering point for people. And they all get together. And I want you to look at this passage of scripture. To me, this is one, both one of the saddest and the funniest verses in all the Bible. Look at this. Acts chapter 19, verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. I don't know about you, but that cracks me up. Leave that up for a minute. That cracks me up. It's like all this confusion. People are shouting. They're arguing. And some people are like, "Where? Is, why are we here? What is this? I don't know. I just found myself here. I heard a, I heard a commotion and I followed it. I heard a noise. I can't. I mean, it sounds like a Monty Python skit, doesn't it? And he's like, why are you doing here? I don't know. Why are you here? I'm here because you were here. I don't know why I'm here. Look, a witch. Where's the witch? Chapter 16. Let's see if she floats. I don't know, man. It's just crazy, right? It's crazy that the people get so caught up in all of this. They don't even know why they're there. 
Here's what I encourage you to do. Always know why you're there. Whatever you're doing, always know why. My family's cracking up. So are they. Always know. In the midst, listen, doesn't this sound like our world? I mean, just replace the word assembly with the world. The world was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. It sounds like our world today. We're in a confusion. And some people are shouting one thing and some people shouting another, but but most of them don't even know why they're here. Why are we on this earth? Listen, God created every one of us for a purpose. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for me. And we may not fully understand that purpose, but I encourage, it's a process. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say, okay, this is exactly God's purpose for you. I, I believe, I believe we could break that up into, into three purposes. One is our, our first purpose is to follow Jesus, period. Our second is a general purpose. And we understand that by, by looking at the three shifts, a tree and an ism. You've been with us long. You know what that is. Worship. Fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. Everybody needs to be doing it. Every follower of Jesus needs to be doing that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to be doing the first purpose, following Jesus. Follow Jesus, general purpose, worship God, fellowship with other believers, discipleship, which is growing in your faith, ministry, serving him in some way, evangelism, telling other people about Jesus. We all need to be doing that as followers of Jesus. But then I believe there is a specific purpose. Okay, there's a first purpose, a general purpose and a specific purpose for you. God puts you on this earth for a specific reason. But most people don't even know why they're here. They don't know. Even many believers, when you start getting into specifics, don't know why they're here. And we get caught up in the confusion. We get caught up in the shouting. One person saying one thing, somebody else saying another. And all the while, God has you here for a purpose. Do you know why you're here? And if you want help in that, get in touch with me. I can walk through that with you. That's one of the that's part of my purpose is to help other people discover theirs. And listen, you don't create your purpose. You discover it. Something you find. God creates it. So we have covered about, about four to five years here in what we've talked about here today. Approximately about a year or so, give or take, per chapter. So we're up to about year 54, 55 as we wrap this out. I hope you can see how Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is being lived out as we continue through the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. The Holy Spirit is working through people. They have a purpose. They are witnesses throughout the world, and God is doing amazing things. He's turning this world upside down, and it all stems from this verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We are continuing to expand throughout the known world at this time. Right now, we are in Ephesus. Chapter 19 ends 
in Ephesus. But we see how so far, and I hope you can see how it even continues, that they are turning the world upside down. Let this be true of you. Let this be true of us as Glen Cove Christian, Christian Church. Acts 17, 6. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. When I first interviewed with the elders about this position, I told them I am not looking for a job. I'm not looking for a position. I'm not even looking for a professional ministry. I'm looking for a headquarters to change the world. I've been here a year now, and that is still true. I believe we got a long way to go, guys, unless Jesus returns, which is very possible. But until he does, we want to continue turning the world upside down. We want to continue following the example that was set for us in the book of Acts by turning the world upside down. Let's change the world because I believe God has called us to do that. We've read about about. Paul and Silas and Apollos and Peter and Stephen and all these guys and their passion and their enthusiasm and their, their reluctance to settle. They Once they accomplish something, they want to go on to the next goal. They want to reach the next area. They want to reach the next people. They want to reach more people for Jesus. They want to turn the world upside down. And you know what they have? You, all, you guys, you know what my word is. You know what my favorite word is. It defines me. It's the word enthusiasm. That comes from two Greek words, the E-N meaning in, and the T-H-U-S is a form of the word theos, which means God. It literally means God in you or God inspired. And I know typically we talk about it as, you know, some kind of excitement or passion or something like that, but it's even deeper than that. And many of you have heard, but I know we've got new people that have come along over the past a uh, few months we've been doing this. Listen, I want to share with you my personal definition of enthusiasm because I think it helps define what was happening in the book of Acts so that they could turn the world upside down. This is it. Look at this. Enthusiasm is a God-inspired fire ignited deep within your soul that drives you to never settle, to live with passion, and turn the world upside down. I believe that's what Paul and the other followers of Jesus had, and I believe that's why they were so effective in what they were doing. They had a God-inspired fire ignited deep within them, and, and facing uh, prison time, facing beatings, facing, humili facing humiliation, even facing death, could not stop them, could not put this fire out. Why? Because it was a God-inspired fire ignited deep within their soul that drove them to never settle, to live with passion, and to turn the world upside down. Glen Cove Christian Church, may this also be true of us. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the love that you have for us. God, we thank you for the purpose that you put inside of us for us to fulfill, for that ministry that you have called us to. And God, may we live it out with enthusiasm. May we have that fire that's inspired by you, ignited deep within our soul, that drives us to never settle, to live with passion, and to turn this world upside down. It's in the name of Jesus. That I pray. Amen.